Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Hey listeners, thanks for checking out this great interview with Dave Comites, Steadicam extraordinaire, on the importance of onset safety. Before we begin, we do need to issue a quick correction. You may hear Dave mention the DGA pushing back against having on-set safety officers during this interview. Dave misspoke, and what he meant to say was that he dealt with some directors pushing back against on-set safety officers, not the DGA as an organization. More important, however, is that since the recording of this interview, the DGA has struck a new agreement with the AMPTP, the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, in which a number of safety measures have been implemented. Specifically, safety training is being expanded for all DGA categories. Remember, the DGA covers not only directors, but also unit production managers, assistant directors, and more. This includes a course specifically for new directors. A safety officer pilot program is also being introduced in New York and Georgia, adding to a program that was established in Sacramento for California earlier this year. This program would ensure safety officers are on set to conduct risk assessments, much like Dave talks about in this episode. Last but not least, live ammunition is now banned on set with limited exceptions. This last provision is very much a response to the tragic death of Helena Hutchins on the set of Rust in 2021. Thanks again for listening to this great interview on an extremely important topic. And with that, I give you Dave Comites. Hello, and welcome back for another episode of Below the Line with Chris and Lizzie, hitting below the belt with all the hard questions. Yes, we are here with friend of the pod, Dave Comites, Steadicam operator, crazy stories from the West Wing. Check out our other episode with Dave on his incredible Steadicam career. Uh, Lizzie, why don't you let our audience know what we're talking about with Dave today? Well, today... Friends, we're talking about safety. We're talking about we're talking about the thing that the kids love to talk about, which is how to be safe on set. <laughs> but it, it is actually, I mean, something that we're fascinated with and something that we talk about constantly on what went wrong. And uh, Dave, you are a safety expert on set, as far as I understand. So, if you could talk a little bit about uh, your background with safety on set and what it is that you do. Um, 
Thank you. Uh, and thank you for doing this. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely not a safety expert on set, but, um, but uh, I've been involved in a lot of actually was for a while the chair of the Local 600 Safety Committee. Local 600, by the way, for anybody not knowing, is the camera union, the camera guild. So it's like directors of photography, operators, assistants, etc. And we have had a safety push for a long time. So we have an app that we've created and, and created a number of videos and whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, the thing is, anybody who's never worked on, a, worked on a set won't really understand that they have the potential to be the most unsafe places in the world. And I'm not talking about stunts. That's a whole nother thing. I'm just talking about regular day-to-day stuff because there's equipment moving. There's, you know, we're using high, I mean, my dolly has a hydraulic, you know, arm on it that if you're not careful with, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and nine times out of 10, the big thing that we've found is that, um, most of the things that you run into that are problematic can actually be dealt with way, way before you ever get on set. And that's the best way to do it, to have options to do it. Um, I mean, I'll give you one example. Um, I'm a camera operator, so we're always we're always being put in all sorts of different places. And, and a couple of years ago, a friend of mine called me up and he goes, I'm doing a shot in the front of a car today and we're driving down a street and it's a locked off street and whatever. And I'm leaning against the front of the, you know, the, the front dash. And he goes, what happens if the airbag goes off? And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I said, I wow. never thought about that. He goes, I didn't either. And then all of a sudden I was like, those things are really hardcore. And um, and I said, well, uh, I, I don't know. And he goes, well, I think we should figure this out because this is not a good thing. So actually I called up, you know, some of the upper ups at the union and I, I said to them, here's the deal. And I said, I want to, um, I want to grab some money and call one of these companies that does, dummy tests and go down Hmm. and put a camera on the shoulder of a dummy and blow Mm -hmm. the airbags and see what the hell happens. And that's exactly what we did. And we created a short video that's on the local 600 safety page, which hopefully you guys can mention at the end, but anybody can Mm -hmm. Google local 600 safety. It's outside of the firewall and get all the the videos that we've done um, and see that. And it's the kind of thing that if you show it to a producer, they can never put someone in that position again <laughs> because mm-hmm. of yeah. what happened. Um, and we actually got an, an expert from USC who basically like explained how bad it would be, not only for the uh, operator, but for the actors as well. Um, but so there's there's a myriad of things. And, and truthfully, it, it's mundane and it's kind of boring and whatever. But the biggest thing that we all on every single set, on every single show fight is exhaustion because we're sometimes working 12, 14 hours a day. And the big thing that nobody thinks about is you can work a 10 hour day, but because of our shift changes, you could work like, you know, eight, eight to six and eight to six and eight to six. And then you could come in at six o'clock and suddenly you're, you're, you're turning around and people drive home tired. And a number of Mm -hmm, people unfortunately have fallen asleep and, and been killed doing this. So we have programs for that, but it's just, it's, it's this kind of, it's all about the number of hours that we work, which is a real problem. That is, yeah. And I, that's something that I'm, I'm embarrassed to say had never occurred to me. And until someone pointed out to me, the number of people that, um, that die because they crash going home, it's horrible. like yeah. it is horrible. Um, I mean, you've been on so many sets. What do you, th- what have you seen is sort of the, 
the kind of like red flags or or telltale signs that maybe this is not a set where safety is being considered? Like before you're in a situation where it's going to get bad, what are kind of the early Well, I mean, signs? you know, I, I, and I'm talking about union shows, which is what I work on. So I don't know about non-union yeah. shows. But, um, you know, the first the first idea is, is I don't want to say they're required, but it's become pretty standard for the first idea to have a safety meeting first thing in the morning. And uh, mm-hmm. if they don't do that, that's problematic. <laughs> um, if mm. they don't care about the hours and they go, yeah, what are you know? And because like we'll go up to them and go, hey, man, it's 12 hours. How long are we going today? Like, what's the deal? Because a lot of shows have have gone. We're not working over 12 hours. And most people who aren't in the film industry hear that and they're like 12 hours. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, uh, bizarrely, that's a short day for us. I mean, or, or not a short day. That's but a that's, a good, that's day a good day. You wrap out in 12 hours. You're. That's great. But and you had everything that you needed. But, here, but yeah. here's the dirty little secret about 12 hours, okay? When I say 12 hours, I'm saying shooting 12 hours. So add in an, add in an mm-hmm. hour lunch, you're talking about 13 hours. Um, add mm-hmm. in the load in to where you are and the load out, my assistants have to go probably half an hour on each side. So now you're at 14 hours. Let's look at hair and makeup and wardrobe. They're there three hours yeah. ahead of time sometimes, and they're there three hours afterwards. They'll sometimes work an 18-hour day. And people, there's all these, and you got, you know, you got teamsters who were there, the trucks are there in the morning and trucks are at the, at the night. There, there's just so many people. And it's just, at the end of the day, it's unsafe. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's one of the things that we've tried to do quite often is we try not to talk about long hours because anybody can go, well, I'll work long hours because I make more money. And it's like, we try to make sure mm-hmm. that people talk about them as unsafe hours because there are very few people who go, I want to work unsafe hours, but that's really what it is. Um, and we have all sorts of band-aids for it, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a real problem. And then, you know, if I'm on a set, I'll usually, I'll usually sort of take the temperature of the first AD when I get there and sort of, you know, try to talk to him about different things. And before I even start, I will usually send an email out with that video that I mentioned and a couple other videos and go, Hey, I just want to let you know about this. So we're all on the same page. And if there's any driving stuff, if there's this or that or the other. And then of course, unfortunately, after last year, you know, there's a whole new thing on uh, using guns on set, of course. Yep. Two years ago now, I think, actually. And to really quickly to clarify, this was the filming of the movie Rust, which Alec Baldwin was the lead actor in who fired a, a gun, a, was supposed to be loaded with, not loaded or loaded with a blank. And supposed it, to be loaded with a, with a dummy round, actually. A dummy, yeah. dummy round, yeah. yeah. And the bullet fragments uh, struck and killed the cinematographer, yep. Helena Hutchins. Yep. Yes, and injured the director as well. And uh, we actually immediately made, and it's also on that page, a video um, with uh, Larry Zanoff, who's one of the top armorers in the business, explaining. Because mm. what I did to him was I said, look, I'm like a dyed-in-the-wool liberal who doesn't like guns, <laughs> and I work around them all the time. I honestly don't know what I'm, I mean, I sort of know I've, over the years I've picked it up, but nobody's ever sat down and said, this is what you want to check for. And so yeah. we made a video and I said, I want you to make a video for an idiot on set to know, A, what they should be checking, you know, what they're seeing and what they're hearing and whatever. And also the bigger thing to me is, is what to look for to know if the armor knows what they're doing. Like, what are the red flags for that? Um, and so, you know, one of the things that he told me about, which I never thought of, was there has to be a chain of custody for the for the weapons because either the weapon is locked up, it's in the hand of the actor, or it's in the hand of the armor. I mean, another thing is, I, I, I at the beginning, I sort of, you know, ignorantly was saying like, well, how many armors do you need if you have twenty guns, and how many? What if you have thirty guns? And he said, well, it, it's it's a ridiculous question because the thing about it is, there has to be an armor to step in 
at any moment and grab a gun that's that's misfiring or something like that. So if you have five guns, but they're all standing next to each other, you could theoretically have one or maybe two armorers. But you, if you have a gun here and a gun on a rooftop and a gun on a rooftop, you immediately have to have three armors. So there were all sorts of things, you know, like that. And um, unfortunately, the you know the tragic de- death of Helena Hutchins kind of was a wake up call. I actually six months prior to that shot a gun scene in that exact same church on that exact same property. Wow! But our set was run like clockwork with the weapons. It was a movie called The Harder They Fall. It was a Western mm-hmm. and just yeah. at the very beginning, our first AD and the, uh, you knew you were asking, this is a perfect example. Our first AD, I remember said, look, we're going to have a lot of gunfire on this show. And what I want to say is this, every time a gun comes out, everybody slows down. I don't care if we don't make our day. I don't care what happens. We're going to be safe. We're going to do this right. And, uh, and, you know, I don't know how many thousands of rounds we fired off on that show. And there was not a single person hurt because we, we did it correctly. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, so, and the reality is hopefully nobody will ever die that way again on a set because the chances of getting shot on a set are minuscule because there are safety precautions in place. And unfortunately they weren't followed there, but next year, I don't know how many people are going to die driving home after a long day and fall asleep. So, and to that point as well, you know, you're, you're talking about like, what are the sort of cues to look for? You mentioned one of the first things being if they're not respecting your time, if they're not respecting the long hours. Exactly and my right. understanding is that that was very much the case on that set too. So yes. I guess an important thing, and this goes for everything I feel like, but what I'm hearing from you is sort of like, if you see one thing, pay attention because things will snowball, particularly on, on a set. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you need to speak up. And what I always tell my crews now, I've been doing this for 33 years, is I go, look, when I was a year or two in the business, I didn't want to speak up because I didn't want to be the troublemaker. And I always tell them, I've been in this for 33 years, but I'm in there with the camera and I have the tendency to go, well, let me get a little closer to the edge because I want that shot. And I'm not thinking the way that you're thinking standing back 20 feet from me. So number one, if you see something, I need you to speak up. And number two is if you're afraid of repercussions, tell me. And if I feel that it's it's valid, I, I will speak up on, on your behalf without your name. I don't care. And the other thing is you can tell pretty quickly if an AD will say at the beginning, if there's a safety problem, I want to hear about it. You know, if they if they set that up and they got to obviously follow through on it. But um, if they set that up, you know, that's an important thing. But one of the reasons why why uh, I I love your podcast, besides the fact that it's fantastic, is you guys will actually I remember on The Revenant, you were talking about how cold it was. And, and one of you was like, yeah, well, what about the crew? And it's just like, yeah, what about the crew? Um, and they got mm-hmm. they got put through the ringer on that show, I know. Um, but, you know, the 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 thing is, everybody always wants answers. Right. And And the problem is. Our business, one day we're doing this thing and one day we're doing that thing and one day we're on a building and one day we're in, underground. And, and there's just so many things. And first of all, to have to have the idea that one person or two people are in charge of safety on a set uh, who's, who are doing a full other job, like an AD, like a key grip, those are usually the two people that people think about, is sort of ridiculous, right? Because yeah. it's like... Yeah, the AD has nothing else to do, so he can look at it. You know, it's it's your you know <laughs> the key group doesn't have, so she can look at this. So it's just you know they've got a full job to do. So I mean, the answer which is which is being talked about, and they're talking about legislation, is doing what they do in Australia, which is to have dedicated safety officers on set 
um, to have the studios and production companies, or whatever, pay a small percentage, or I don't know how they do it, into some fund that pays these people so they're autonomous, so that they can literally say, uh, oh. those cables over there need to be covered. No, I don't want to do it. I'm shutting this down. <laughs> and they have the and they have the ability to do that. And and they have to have the they have to be in. Enabled with the authority, because that's the yes. key. Is they have to have autonomy. Authority. They have to have autonomy and authority. And um, mm-hmm. the thing is, it, there's a lot of pushback from the directors guild because you know there are a lot of people who say, "Well, I don't want to be, I don't want to be told what to do," and I totally understand that. But at the same time, if we know that we're doing something, I don't. No, no, no. I, I, no. Um, I, 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 let me put. Let me let me rephrase that because you're absolutely right. I, I, I'm not saying I understand them saying I don't want to be told not to do something that's unsafe. I think their I concern is I don't want to give. I don't want to give authority of my set to someone else, um, and it being sure. abused or whatever. But at the same time, I always say, yeah. But if we're doing a shot and we point out that it's unsafe, then we're not going to do that shot. So this is just someone whose job it is to do that. But the bigger thing, and I've actually pitched this to a couple of people, um, and I'd love to see it get out there more, is you've got a script. You can, there are people out there like who work for insurance companies um, whose job it is is to do risk assessment. You could hire mm-hmm. those people, and you could hire them on a, on, a, on a one-off basis to read the script, and with each scene, go one, you know, one to ten. And one to five is like, yeah, there's not too much here, and five to Ten is like, hey, there's something serious, and you number each scene, and they read every rewrite, and they read, and then you can go through the script and go, okay, we got a six here. What's the? Pro- oh, okay, we got we got a lion. Okay, how are we dealing with the lion or whatever, you know? And then you deal with it all in prep because the thing with me that always drives me nuts is when it gets to the point where I'm on a dolly and my dolly goes behind me and a boom guy's next to me and the assistant's there and whoever, whatever, and we're being asked to do something unsafe. I have to look at a director and say, I know this is what you want, but we can't do it. And to me, that is, that's the single worst thing because my job is to give the director exactly what they want. And what I always think Mm -hmm. at at those points, and they're very rare because usually what you do is you go, we can't do it this way, but let's, we can do it this way. But if, if we could have talked about this a week ago and seen it ahead of time, then we would have gone, okay, there's going to be a problem with this. Here are the hurdles. How do you still want to tell your story as best you can without putting us in jeopardy? Because I don't really think anybody wants to put us in jeopardy. There are probably two producers out there who would like to put me in jeopardy, but that's a different thing. <laughs> um, but it's that they don't have any choices at that point because you're 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 on the day. Do you know what I'm saying? So um, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and the the risk assessment actually the the actuarial approach that you're discussing, right? Where you're going. That's that actually is exactly how you budget yeah. a movie, by the <laughs> way, exactly and schedule right. a movie, which is you go through it and the line producer says, well, this this scene alone is costing us X. And you, as the director, it's your job to go in and say, well, no, actually, I wasn't envisioning a real lion. I was It was going to be exactly. a puppet, you know, for one shot. Oh, no, that seems far less expensive. And it would be the same conversation of, oh, that seems far less dangerous yep. than... Yep. So that's we effectively have that system already in place. So it's an augmentation of an existing process, Thank which you. is great. I love this Do idea. Me a favor I think it's talk to everyone out there about it because well, <laughs> we are. We, it's what's funny is we all. It, uh, there's a movie I'm working on right now that I'm I'm in that process on the budgeting side, and we're actually doing the same thing. Um, 
we actually just removed all the guns. It's a vampire horror film. Okay. <laughs> it's a like a co- comedy movie. And we had actually pulled the guns after there were not very many, but there were a few. But we were, we've been now going through the scenes um, in a very detailed level with the stunt work that, you know, we're doing. And it's the same. It's a it is not exactly what you're talking about, yeah. but it's it's like one permutation away from being what you're saying, which would be extremely helpful. And again, to your point of the safety regulators, I think to to draw in all of these elements that you're talking about, Dave, and tell me where I'm getting this wrong, but in my mind, all of this comes down to time is the elusive, precious resource yep. that you have on set. Studios don't want to give you more because it's expensive, because what everybody thinks is expensive on movie sets or the the sets or the special effects or the CGI, what's expensive mm, is labor. You have yeah. yep. hundreds of people working and not getting paid some obscene amount of money. It's just that when you start stacking up hundreds of people every single day, it gets very expensive. Your run rate's very high. And it's very easy to simply... And the problem is you have a subset of people like yourself, Dave, who once you put them in the job, they're actually willing to put themselves at risk to give you the best version of this movie or story possible. So the, the incentives are so perverse. Your employer has every reason to say, well, I'm going to shorten the time because I know you're going to kill yourself that's exactly right. to try to deliver this yep. movie for me. And that's why you need an independent arbiter of some kind. That's exactly right. Yep. And to exist as a friction in that system. Well, and the reality is uh, like we are our own worst enemies because what happens exactly. is they constantly hand us these impossible tasks and we somehow pull them off. So next time they go, well, that was easy. We'll just do that again. And it's mm-hmm. like, you don't know what was involved in that. So, um, you know, there's that. And then there's the other thing is, like you said, and I mean, I hate to say it, but it's a reality. We will put ourselves in harm's way only to a point, but we'll do things that maybe probably aren't that smart, like working 14 hours a day because we love what we do and we want to be the best at what we do. And we don't ever want to say we can't do this. Do you know? Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pride in that. And there's a lot of sort of like, I mean, there's a little bit of bravado, I guess, or whatever, but there's just like, you know, the ability um, to say, like, no, we pulled that off, but it, it's a double-edged sword, right? You know? So, um, I mean, some of the things that I would just say to the people who are listening are, are check out the Local 600 Safety page, which is, if you just Google Local 600 Safety, it'll come up the page, and it's got a ton of stuff on it. One of the big things that we worked on that's on there is the, um, is the um, uh, uh, it's, I'm saying it wrong, but it's the Crew Bill of Rights. It's basically mm-hmm. how to how to discuss safety issues. And um, one of the one of the key words that I I usually use when we're not getting you know we'll bring something up quiet. Hey, this is a problem. And if nobody's listening, I'll just look at them and go, look. Here's the big concern. Um, number one, I'm concerned for the safety of my fellow workers and myself. If you just say yourself, you're actually closing yourself off to OSHA problems down the road. If you say if you're worried about everybody or or any number of people, mm-hmm. it's a different thing. And then also you just say, yeah. I think I think you guys are putting yourself in a position of liability if we do this. And then suddenly- That's the one that people perk yep, up yep. at. It's literally like there are times where I want to get on set and just scream, liability, and like see what yeah, happens. Yeah. Because the second you say yep. that, people go, whoa, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> we don't want to put ourselves in a liability, you know? And for someone who doesn't know, like, you know, being a, particularly being a young person on a set, yeah. I think there's, it can be hard to know sort of what the resources are and also yep. like what the chain of command is. Yep. So if someone- 
is on set and doesn't know who to talk to or who to say, like, this looks like a liability or, you know, I think everyone is unsafe. Like, what are sort of the steps they need to take? Who do they go to first? And how does that get handled? I mean, assuming that they're assuming that they're comfortable with it, they should go to the first AD. Um, if they're not okay. comfortable with it, they should go to their department head. So like a, a camera assistant can come to either the director of photography or the camera operator, director of photography is to head of our department. Like, you know, a grip could go to the key grip, uh, an electrician go to the gaffer, whoever the head of their department is, um, which probably is a better way to go. But, you know, sometimes the thing is you will go to those people and they'll go, ah, it's no problem. And then you're like, well, what do yeah. I do now? And it's and here here's the thing that I always tell people is, there are times when you're going to have to make a decision and it's not going to be an easy decision. But if you are certain that there's a real problem going on, you may have to do something that will jeopardize your job. Um, but it's going to be a lot better than calling someone's better half, loved one, whatever, and saying, I was mm-hmm. there and this is what happened. And and usually when I explain that to people, it, it something kicks in because it's like you're gonna you're you're not gonna carry that lost job with you for the rest of your life, but you're going to carry mm-hmm. with you. I could have stopped that and I didn't. And um, I mean, I've been in some very close calls because I was young and stupid, um, and was doing things that I shouldn't have done. And I've been lucky enough to to you know have gotten through those things. But sometimes it's not even that. Um, there was a show. I don't remember what show it was, but a DP was telling me that they had a shot where a camera was in front of a car and the car was supposed to pull right up to the camera and stop and did it. No problem. And the guy didn't get out of the car and they opened the car and he had had a heart attack. And if it had happened five seconds earlier, it would have taken that camera. Mm-hmm. Operator now. So when we do a shot like that now, I always go, look, it's got to be a lock off or we do it with a remote head, which we usually have now. There are like six different ways mm-hmm. to do that shot now where I'm not standing there and people are, oh, yeah. what do you, what do you, you know? And thankfully we've gotten a little bit past this whole, oh, what are you chicken? And it's just like, and I used to go, yeah, I'm completely chicken. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. Like, I don't really need you to be impressed with me, but I do need to go home tonight and see my kids. Um, so, uh, you know, and now I'm at the point where I'm like, look, if you want to fire me, you can fire me, but we can't do this shot this way. Here are three other ways we can do the shot. And the reason we can't do exactly what you want is because nobody talked about this ahead of time. And had I been there, right. I, I would have, and I'm sorry. Um, but you know, this is something that we have to deal with. We can't ignore it, you know? Uh, Let's say, like, in a worst-case scenario, someone goes to their department head, and then they go to – department head says, ah, it's fine. Yeah. They go to the first AD. First AD says, not a big deal. Yeah. At that point, are they done? Or, like, is there an, another resource no, at that they point, can go at to? No, at that point, you can call your union and get a union rep mm-hmm. in there. And, I mean, look, I, I can't speak for every union. Local 600 is very good. We actually created an app that you can actually report these things on. And, and, and I've, ha- I've had people call up production and go, hey, I'm hearing from set right now that this is going mm-hmm. on. I'm coming down there. You guys need to stop. And they won't necessarily make them stop, but that lets see at that. And by the way, I guarantee you, they use the word liability. <laughs> but at that point, the producers are going, "Well, what's going on? We got okay. Well, everybody's got to what's happening, and, and everything slows down because the key to ninety percent of this is just to stop the train long enough for everybody to take a breath and go and okay, think about what it. are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and that's why, by the way, I I uh, the, the email that I usually send to my crews ahead of time is I go, look, I've been doing this a long time. And people seem to think that I have some special knowledge of safety. I really don't. I just have been doing this long enough that I know what to look for. I know what the signs are. And and that said, 
I can do really stupid stuff just because my head is so in the shot. So I need you to keep an eye on me, just like I'm going to keep an eye on you. And I mean, you know, it's, it's unfortunately not enough, but anytime we're on a split or on a late night, our crew, or at least the camera crew, will check in with every single person and say, are you okay to drive home? Of course, everybody says yes, because we all want to sleep on our own things. But there have been twice where I've taken people aside and said, you are not okay to drive home. You're getting a hotel room there, you know, because production will do that a lot of times, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and you and you have to fight with them because everybody thinks they're okay until until they're not. There's also on the way on, on the safety page. There's another really good video that uh, my friend John Lindley made on on unsafe hours uh, that talks to people who have driven home and and it's always I was ten blocks from home and then I woke up, you mm-hmm. know, and it's just it's mm-hmm. it's horrible. And the reason why he's so invested in it is because he was on he was a DP on Pleasantville. And his assistant, Brent Hirschman, went home after a 19-hour day, drove home. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he was going home for his daughter's birthday. And he was killed in a car accident. And and John has never been the same since. And he's fought long hours, unsafe hours, I should say, um, more than anybody else that I know. And uh, it's a personal, you know, crusade for him. And and he... We've made, we've made, you know, we've gotten better turnaround. We've gotten um, like weekend turnarounds. They're starting to come back around, but uh, it's still, it's still not enough. And to clarify, just so the audience understands, turnaround refers to the duration of time that needs to be given between the wrap of one day and the call time. So when you're supposed to be on set for your next day. Exactly. But to be clear, the turnaround time for is not universal no. for all crew and cast. And so what's interesting is that for some crew, your turnaround time can be very short, um, you know, sub eight hours in in certain instances, sometimes depending. And then, but for key cast members, you can't force, unless you force them, you can't turn someone around shorter than, you know, 12 hours in some instances um, for your top uh, build cast. So film is still very hierarchical. And even though progress has been made with some, you know, specific groups, you know, on set, it's not been done for, there needs to be a more universal approach. And again, what Dave mentioned is the part of the issue that we run into is the staggering effect of, well, if you want to start at nine, we got to get load in at four, uh, the teamsters got to get going at three 30 and hair and makeup's going to come in at five 30. And, you know, and so it's, it is, it's, excuse me, complicated logistically, but um, it, it's just not worth it. Yeah to risk anybody's life to make a movie. Yeah, and, and I don't I don't think so. anybody goes into it going, ah, if we lose a couple of people, it'll be all right, because people just mm-hmm. assume it's not going to happen. But And you're right about the difference in turnaround with different people. But the thing is, as an operator, I get, depending on, on location and this and that, the other, I get, I think I get 11 hours now. Now, my assistants, mm-hmm. I think, generally get 10. Um, mm-hmm. But the thing is, they can come in a little bit before me, but there's no way that they can come in that much before me because there's nothing to Mm -hmm. be done. And then the big thing, and that I always respect is I respect the actors who go, I'm not going to wave my turnaround because this crew needs rest. We're not going to do that. Yes. (laughs) Well, that's a good thing. So the studio will oftentimes push an actor to wave their turnaround uh, and they'll just say, fuck you, because they're the one person that can on set. But I've I've had uh, uh, them go, no, we're not doing this. This crew is tired. We're going home. 
I've, 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 you know, we're getting some, usually they're executive producer actors, but, um, but, (laughs) uh, but I, I have great respect for those people because they look around and people are just, you know, falling asleep. I mean, uh, I'm not going to say what show, but there was a big show that I did where our final day was a sixth day and, uh, it was a 15 hour day. And by the time that we finished as the sun was coming up, there were people who were falling over in their chairs because they were falling asleep Mm -hmm. and I had to be doing some massive shot and, you know, and it's just, you're just, you're just. You're, you're not firing in all c- cylinders. You're just, there's no way. No. There's no way. I mean, I think the end of that week, I, I probably, I must have worked a 70, 75 hour week that week, you know. Yeah. And when I was 20, I could do that. I'm, I'm 53 now. <laughs> it doesn't work as well. And I get really angry. So most people try not to make that happen with me. <laughs> also, I mean, you're not going to get the highest quality product if people are falling Thank asleep you. in their chairs. Thank you. Well, like- <laughs> yeah, John, John, John Lindley, the gentleman I told you, uh, always says to me, show me one other uh, industry in the world where they'll pay you twice as much money because we're on overtime to get half the quality of work. And he's right. And, it's, yeah. and, and it gets exponential. And I've had people go, you know, I, I mean, it hasn't happened in a long time, but like in the in the 15th and 16th hour, it's like, why can't you nail the shot? And I look at them and I go, oh my because God. I've been working for 15 hours. And, you know, yeah. I look at them and I go, anybody else who's putting on a 50 pound steady cam, feel free to step up here. But uh, I'm pretty tired, you know. And, you know, it's just it's the reality of this business. But, um, you know, we we try to we try to limit it and. Especially as a union, every time we renegotiate our contracts, we try to get a little better and a little better with the hours, but it's a really tough thing. The one thing that I've heard in the past, you know, there's 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 been this, you've probably heard of this 12 on, 12 off thing where it's like, we should work for 12 mm-hmm. and we should have 12 hours off. And personally, I still think that's too much, but that's another story. Um, mm-hmm. But I agree. Yeah, and, and the <laughs> thing is, not that much. no, it isn't. And I mean, that's how brainwashed we are. That people are like twelve hours. That'd be great. Um, <laughs> and uh, and and one of the weird things is, is I've worked on shows where we it's a ten hour day and that's it. And especially after COVID, uh, you know, there was a ten hour day for a while. But then there were people who were complaining that they weren't getting the overtime and they weren't making enough money. So there's there's a delicate balance. But the one that I've heard that makes the most sense to me is hours worked is equals hours off. And so if you work an 11 yes. hour day, you have to have 11 hours. Uh, I think actually uh, the, the thing was, if you, it has to be minimum of 12 hours, but, but, mm-hmm. but so if something happens where you have to work a 16 hour day, um, then you get 16 hours off. And obviously you'd have to have weekend turnaround so they didn't mess with that. But if on Monday you work 16 hours, then by Tuesday, you're coming in 16 hours later, and by Wednesday, it just screws everything. So there's a built-in mechanism for making mm-hmm. sure that you don't you don't mess that up. But I don't know what the magic answer is. I mean, I think the the the, the reality is um, there are many shows that I've worked on where they've just gone. We don't need as much coverage as we're getting. <laughs> um, we can do this in 10, 11 hours. Um, and there's a mandate to the directors to not get every single shot. Um, yeah, it's a reconceptualization of what your movie's going to be. Yeah. And that could be on a big movie. It could be a studio saying, well, I'm reconceptualizing how much it's going to cost and we're going to spend more money and get more yeah. days because you have the resources. Or if you're on a small movie, it's going to be, hey, guess what? We're doing that organic wide yep. that Dave suggested yeah. by putting the camera in the corner. Yeah. And the, it, it, you have to make a sacrifice at one end or the other. Yeah. There's that triangle of cheap, fast, and good pick two. And exactly. you can't, you know, and it, you can't score And it that isn't circle. always even a sacrifice. I mean, sometimes being limited that way makes you think smarter and go, oh, right. I found a yes. much right. better way to tell this story, you know? So, so that, yeah. you know, and, and there's this, and I will say, especially in TV, 
now that writers have become executive producers, you've got the director going, I want this. And the writer's going, but let's get mm -hmm. that and that too, because I really like that. And they're executive producers. So it's like suddenly you're shooting mm. several shots. And uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I'll tell you on, on Ozark, um, Jason Bateman was our executive producer showrunner. And there are times where he'd come up and be like, no, 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 you don't need a shot back on me. Everybody knows what I look like. It's one line. It, it'll be fine. I'm the one who's doing the final cut anyway. Trust me. Mm -hmm. You don't need this. Let's move on. And, it, you know, to have yes. someone in that seat who knows that much, it, it makes a big difference and it moves things along. So, you know, sometimes you need that. Well, Dave, thank you very, very much for joining us. If I've learned one thing today, it's that I absolutely could not hold a 40 to 50 pound weight for... <laughs> 14 to 16 hours. So God bless you. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, by the way, uh, uh, on the movie Psycho Cop Returns, which I'm sure both of you saw and enjoyed. If you didn't, Saturday, you probably yeah, should. Absolutely. <laughs> of course, you probably have a poster somewhere <laughs> there in the room. Um, I had a uh, Panavision camera that was too heavy for the rig. So the whole thing probably weighed about 65 pounds. And I remember I fell asleep leaning against a wall, holding the camera in between takes. And the only way that I knew was I started to slide and my assistant slammed me back against the wall. And I remember, <laughs> oh but, I, but I was God. like 21 and I remember thinking, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> only when you're 21. Oh, how stupid we are. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. Well, thank you again. This was really insightful. And I think honestly, like so helpful. I hope that people listen to this and understand what they should be looking for, who they should be talking to, how to advocate for themselves. Um, so thank you very, very much for everything that you're doing. Thank you. Um, yeah. And uh, by the way, I totally appreciate you guys taking the time to make this part of this because it's so important. And uh, if no other reason, maybe more crew members will come and listen to your podcast as they should, because it's hands down the best podcast in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Even better on take yeah, two. Well. Uh, <laughs> Guys, please, you can also go check out icg600.com slash safety for more information that Dave talked about, including the Safety Bill of Rights. Um, and a lot of, you know, I think the landscape is going to change in the next few years. We're going to we're going into a, a, another writer's strike now, <laughs> and uh, I'm hopeful that things are going to start to shift in more positive directions in terms of safety and equity and whatnot. But in the meantime, I think the best thing that we, all of us that work on film sets can do is be the, no matter what our role is on the film, be the eyes and ears of those around you, as Dave mentioned, because there are people doing jobs on set who are unable to watch themselves, obviously. And so it is up to their coworkers, and that could be you or me or any number of people out there, uh, to keep an eye out and make sure things are always above board. Uh, but Dave, thank you again for coming on our show. We deeply appreciate it. And guys, I know you don't believe us, so listen to Dave when he says that this is hands down the best podcast out there. And, <laughs> well, uh, also listen to Dave when he says take yeah. care of yourself. <laughs> yes, <do> yes. both. <laughs> but mostly for his podcast <laughs> recommendations. Um, guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to our patrons. Until next time, it has been What Went Wrong. Bye. Go to patreon.com slash what went wrong podcast to support what went wrong and gain access to bonus episodes, video content, and more. What Went Wrong is a sad boom podcast presented by Lizzie Bassett and Chris Winterbauer. Editing and music by David Bowman with cover art from Uthana Uos. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. 
If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.